Coming up on this episode of The Unusable Podcast. The internet is terrible now. Or is it? A bit. Welcome to The Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Hi David. Hi. How are you? Uh, I've got a bit of a cold, which people might notice. I'm a bit sort of bugged up. Okay, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe people will prefer it. Maybe it'll come across (laughs) all... What do you mean? All sexy on the... on the because i've got like a sort of yeah maybe deeper maybe, voice maybe we'll get more listens because of it i don't think that's ever gonna happen so shall we introduce ourselves go on then so i'm andrew Waite. i'm a product owner of a SaaS product in derby and i'm david ball i'm a front-end web and app developer excelente <laughs> so we're currently should we tell our listeners that we're trapped <laughs> yeah go on then so send for help. We're recording this on a day where there's local local flooding. The river that runs near our our homes and offices has has flooded. Basically, we can't get home, and we can't get home, so we're <laughs> trapped. All the roads are just full of cars. Every route that I could possibly take home, I think, is flooded in some some way along the route. Yeah. So gridlock. Don't know. Might have to sleep in the office tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, before that, let's record a podcast. Yeah. So what's the topic for today? Okay, so have you ever thought that the internet is not as good as it used to be? Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> I know definitely. this is like a completely pessimistic and like old man thing to say, but I do, right now that it's been around for a bit, it sort of doesn't quite have all the excitement and the charm and the adventure that it had when it was a brand new thing. Everyone's like, the, the internet, it's a fantastic thing. And now there's a few things that make people a bit annoyed about it. Okay. Do you want some examples? Go on. Okay, so this isn't completely... Um, I ha- My whole life and career is built on the internet. And I do in- I enjoy it. So I'm not going to diss it too much. But... I think you're allowed to criticise something while still appreciating it. Yeah, okay. I think I think in a way you, you're almost the best position to to notice problems and to when you're close to something right it's probably okay so you're using the internet websites mm-hmm. right big this mm-hmm. is the biggest thing websites half of the websites that i use and see are very annoying okay. you know with like cookie banners yeah that's one of the biggest problems and uh tracking you know a website might actually take a long time to load mm-hmm. because of things like tracking scripts advertising advertising oh my god web down a lot. so many ads yeah, um, the website itself could be built on like a JavaScript framework. There's just so much verbose code there that takes a long time to sort of load, especially if you're on like a low-powered computer or on your phone. It has to load all of that framework. Then it has to sort of parse and execute all that stuff. So we've got computers now that are like so many orders of magnitude more powerful than like the computers that we used to send astronauts to the moon. Yeah. But yet it takes a hell of a long time to just do process and load a website. Yeah. Which is um, just the weirdest thing, really. Yeah. Uh, so I've got really old computers in my loft. I, I actually collect old, interesting computers. Well, computers say, that interest me from my childhood. When you say collect, you mean you just never threw away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you could put it like that. Um, but I know I've got... Um, some people know what this is. Some people won't. Uh, a RISC PC, an Acorn RISC PC in my loft. So this is a British computer brand. And most British school children of my era will know what one of those is. What is that? An, is that an Acorn? Yeah, an Acorn RISC PC right, 600. Okay. But those those computers had either a 33 or a 40 megahertz, I think, if 
if my memory serves me correctly, a 33 or a 40 megahertz RISC processor. So it's the same sort of processor that you have in your in your phone. Oh, right, okay. okay. But Even today, even now? Yeah, but... It's still around. But, but, well, that's their legacy, essentially, is the RISC processor. They they came up with it. But that's, oh, okay. that's a whole separate story. Right. Um, but my point is, these processors run so slow, 33, 40 megahertz. But if you turn on the computer, it boots really quickly, probably quicker than a lot of modern computers. You can load up a, a word processing package very quickly. And the experience of doing something a basic task like that if anything has possibly got slower yeah I know if you load up like Windows now it just takes, yeah. it takes what, ages what's and then mo- you've got to load up Office and that takes ages and what's what's a modern computer about 2000 to 3000 megahertz so yeah. you've got all that extra computing power and I do think though whatever developers do uh, and whether this applies to the web and to software that's on machines themselves yeah, on. tends to just fill the computing power oh uh, okay because computing power as it, as time's gone on is it's just cheaper isn't it to make a computer faster yeah. than it is to make a developer make something efficient part of the reason that this antique computer that's in my loft is so speedy is a lot of time and consideration was put into making it efficient and making it, you know, cutting away any cruft because that's the only way to do it. The only way to have made it responsive and to, to work in a reasonable time frame. Is it efficient because it's doing less? Is it fast because it's doing less? Yeah, it was. There was less to work with because computers are so much more powerful. It's it's just it's easy to be wasteful, isn't it? But we're just talking about websites here. Websites are what text, pictures, nothing too special. So the average size of a website a few years ago was just like a few kilobytes, right? The very first website that was ever created was mm-hmm. four kilobytes in size, Okay. right? In 2014, the average size was 1.4 megabytes. Is that of a page or the that's, whole That's for a page, for a single page. That's the okay. average size of one page load. Now, if you think about it, Sonic the Hedgehog on the on the Mega Drive yeah. was one megabyte. <laughs> so for every, every web page is more than the entire of Sonic the Hedgehog. Wow. And that doesn't make any sense to me because it's just text in theory it's just text but obviously there's not just text these days there's the whole javascript framework that has to be loaded or there's all your tracking scripts and videos maybe video is a big one and uh, graphics is a big one but the average website in 2019 was something closer to four megabytes so that's four times the size of sonic the hedgehog it's ridiculous isn't it i think that's very bloated Wasteful. It's very wasteful. And especially if you're using a, a mobile phone, you want 3G or something like that, you want a sketchy 3G, you're waiting for this, this uh, website to, to load, could take ages. Yeah, that, that could come out of your um, your plan as well. So uh, you could be charged for, for that. Yeah. So one single yeah. website, which is four times Sonic the Hedgehog's, that's the metric now, one megabyte <laughs> is one Sonic the Hedgehog. Is that is that backed up, by the way? Have you researched that? Uh, in as much as I found the information on the internet... Did you know that Mario Kart on the N64 was 8 megabytes? Right. So that's only like two web pages. <laughs> it is insane how inefficient we've become, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When you look at a website, you want it to be fast, right? If you, if I've clicked on a link in, say, Twitter and a website like on my phone and the website doesn't load immediately, I'll be like, oh, I can't really be bothered and I'll just... Suck it off. Yeah. Well, there's there's loads of stats, aren't there, about people leaving web pages because they don't load quick enough. Yeah, something um, like if it doesn't load in two seconds, then you're not interested. Which sounds yeah. like we are all just really impatient. But I mean, that's you don't want to waste it's your human time nature. Life. It's just human nature. Yeah, of course. And so the, we need to be better at that. People who create websites, like me, I admit I'm probably part of this problem. To be honest, make it efficient. I've got yeah, make it efficient. Make it more efficient. Yeah. 
just an update on the flood situation. Water is still rising. Uh, it surpassed the highest ever recorded flood level for this part of the world. So possibly we're going to be stuck here for a long time. Keep on podcasting. <laughs> So other things that are annoying about websites, mm-hmm. constant pop-ups, yeah. like cookie banners, things that, f- that fight for your attention. Now, I'm really worried about this because I make websites all the time. That's my that's my job. And I, so I've got an investment for people to love using websites. Yes. However, so many websites that I've seen recently are just awful to use because of things going, do you want to accept cookies? Do you want to uh, subscribe to this newsletter? Do you want to uh, accept browser notifications? Things like that. Well, we've talked about that before. On the we've podcast, talked about that before, we? and just how annoying that is. And actually, there's a. Did we talk about the recent stats that Firefox uh, came out with that very, very few people actually accept yeah. those, no, those browser notifications? Because I mean, why would you? It's just a ridiculous thing to to ask of someone. It's annoying though. I can see it being useful in the right context, but it's going to be ruined, isn't it? It's going to be taken out probably of new browsers because people get annoyed with it yeah and that means that for the few applications where it's useful like i think i mentioned the last podcast i use it for google calendar notifications and i found that incredibly useful so i wouldn't want it to go away but at the same time i don't want every new site i go on to ask me if i want notifications i don't i don't need that in my life but the thing is they they do they do ask and I don't know where this comes from. But the thing from. is, from from them asking, like if they don't ask, it's just status quo, right? But if yeah. they do ask, there's a potential that 0.01% will agree. And then they'll come back whenever and you And then they'll come back whenever you post notification. So even if it's only a slight increase in visitors, it's probably, it can only be a positive effect, right? I can't imagine. No, I think it'll annoy people. I think it'll annoy people that they won't come back to that site. It's tarnished your brand. I reckon. I've got no stats to back that up, only that it annoys me. And so I am worried that people will get annoyed with websites. They'll treat websites as, oh, it's just some horrible spammy thing. And then they'll go to an app instead. I think that's the biggest problem that websites have and that the whole Mm -hmm. web has is that people might be more likely to download an app and use an app instead, whereas sometimes that might not be appropriate. So this pl- plays into one of the main things I think that's a problem with, with the web these days is the the decentralised concept, which was made it so amazing in the early days, is now no longer uh, such a thing. So in the early days, you remember that most websites you visited were small websites that people had made, independent small groups had made these websites. These days, most web traffic is split across, what, four or five major sites? You've got... You, yeah, like Twitter and Facebook. Facebook and uh, Amazon, Amazon, Netflix. Yeah, the big players. But then even things like blogs. People used to have their own blog, whereas now they'll write it in a Facebook group or something or whatever. Yeah, it is. or yeah. Medium. You've got Medium for for blog content, which is just like yeah. a big blog platform. So I think I think the decentralization the the decentralization which made it so amazing early on and the sort of variety and you the... keep saying decentralization. What do you mean by that? Most websites were on a little independent server somewhere, like an amateur. Because we were yeah. all like when it was first around, everyone was so excited about this new technology and people were trying it out. So you got a lot of enthusiastic amateurs. Maybe that's the spirit. That spirit is probably missing right now, actually, which is a bit of a shame. Maybe we can rekindle it. I don't know. But yeah, it, it was, there was quite a few like tryhards at the start. And that's what, what made it have this spirit of adventure. And yeah, it, people were just trying things out, experimentally trying things out, which right now it's established, right? If you wanted to make your own uh, blog website... Kind of, why would you? Because there's all there's bigger platforms already. You know, there's other platforms you can put your blog content on. Uh, if you wanted to create a social media site right now, well, what's the point? You know, you've, we've already got saturation with social media websites, to be honest. 
uh, what else? Every other, every idea that we can possibly think of has probably been done. Yeah, I think, but I think also, you know, the web used to be a lot more niche, right? I remember I used to spend a lot of my time when I was a teenager on a website called Beta, which was like, has like really sort of silly photoshops and things on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But these days, that... It's still around. It is still around. still around, but, but I you think can it's tell more it's, You can tell it's gone into decline. Like, it hasn't really changed for a long time. And I think it's just the diehards that are left from before. It's not really gaining a new audience because, you know, the kids these days, would they'd set up a Facebook group. It's not quite the same, is it? it the kids these days. I know. I <laughs> we're so old. <laughs> I know. I know. Sounds so old, isn't it? They're not using the websites that we used to use. Yeah, but I think it's a, a shame as well because I remember the adventure in you know wanting to to make something cool, and that involved having to learn a bit of code or a bit you know a bit about how the web worked in order to make your web page. That was the only way to do it early on. I think people are still excited about creating code. I suppose. I think less so though. I think like the, what's the what, what was my what was my incentive when I first started learning about the web and, and doing things? It was because I wanted to make cool things, right? I wanted right. to make my own little place on the web. Okay, and that, and that involved there was no other way to do it learning a bit of html or whatever it was or maybe some a bit of dreamweaver or something but it still involves some kind of skill whereas these days people that want their own place on the web do it with a few clicks and you're on a facebook account or you do it with a few clicks and you've got Mm -hmm. a a ready-built site or whatever is that the same thing though right now you could create a website on wix or any of those like template builders and have your own website right now. It's so easy. It's never been easier to make your own website. And that should be a great thing. And I think it probably is a great thing. But because it's easy, yes. does that mean that it's not aspirational? It's not what people want Probably. To do? Well, this leads me into one of my things that I wanted to say. And this may be a little bit controversial. Oh, God. But, but, but I think the people on the web, the type of people on the web has changed. The type of people? Yeah. What do you mean by type of people? So early on, it was web geeks, right? It was oh, right, okay. it was it was people that that had a passion for the web. The floodgates have opened now, and now it's just anybody. Yeah, now, now everyone's got a phone. They can everyone's all get got, on the internet. Everyone can post their two pence in a chat blog, whatever. And it, <laughs> and it seems to have lost a bit of its. And maybe this is probably looking through rose tinted glasses. I'm, I'm, I admit, but it feels like it's lost a little bit of its friendliness. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because you get and trolls who are like angry about things and they want to talk about angry things. But that's not a new thing. This is not a new thing at all. I know, obviously, more people are using the internet than ever before, which means that we're kind of exposed now to a lot of people's strange opinions and political weirdness and things like that. Uh, but I mean, that's just. Those are just people. I'm kind of... I'm fine with it, I suppose. I don't want to be elitist, to be honest. I'm, no. I'm quite happy for, for the internet to become to be a welcoming place. Yeah. But I, but I do know what you mean. In fact, I read an article about this by a guy called Alex Bulk, I think his name is. Okay. And he come, came up with these three laws, right? First law is, everything you hate about the internet is actually everything you hate about people. Oh. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. People are just people. Right. Yeah, yeah. People are just people. And if you say you hate Twitter, it's because you're probably looking at only the tweets of angry people. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You've just made me realise. But but I think but I think that's the point that I was trying to make, actually. It kind of summarises the point I was trying to make, that early on, I think the internet was more so made up of like-minded people. Yeah. Okay. More so. Okay. Not that trolls and things didn't exist, but I think more so early on, it was geeks with a similar mindset and you would run into other geeks with a similar mindset. Whereas now, I think, yeah... Less so. Yeah, okay. Trolls aren't a new thing. People have been arguing on the internet since 
the internet was invented, pretty much. Have you ever heard of Godwin's Law? No. Okay, so this is it's really old. It's an internet adage asserting that, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches. <laughs> But that's, that happens, doesn't it? That's the same in any heated argument. Someone at some point will be probably compared to the Nazis. <laughs> but that's yeah, just, true. that's not the internet. That's just people. It's true. Yeah. And it, and it is elitist of me to say that I want the internet just to be people like me because. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we can have No, that. And, and, and in my heart of hearts, I don't really believe that it should just be people like me. But nevertheless, it doesn't feel the friendly, warm, fuzzy place that it used to. Which, obviously, is kind of sad. It depends where you go, doesn't it? Because this, if you spent all your time looking at, maybe, YouTube, you probably would find nice content that you like. Yeah, you get it yourself... depends what you search for. You get yourself into a little bubble, don't you? Like, yeah. I actually find that a problem for me on YouTube. I, I found myself now, if I go onto the YouTube suggestions list, is just a pure bubble of stuff that I kind of like. <laughs> what does it suggest for you? Uh, usually videos by the lockpicking lawyer. <laughs> which is a guy that... <laughs> videos about lockpicking. It sounds really specific, but it's really interesting. He gets sent, like, locks... Like right. padlocks and stuff. And he picks them and then times how long it takes and then reviews how secure he thinks it is, how easy it is to pick the lock. That sounds very boring. You'd think that, but it's amazing. No, it's really good. no, no. It does sound very boring. I also watch a lot of Jeff Marshall. Okay. Is he also teaching you how to be some sort of criminal? No, he rides trains. He talks, oh! about, train, he talks about train stations and things like that. Fascinating. Right, let's move on. <laughs> Shall we? <laughs> yeah, but I think... As much as I say that the internet's grown and now everyone's on the internet, at the same token, people do have their silos, don't they? You have, like, especially in social networks and things, you end up in these, like, in, in bubbles. In the past, people would watch, for example, TV and get most of their news from TV or, or whatever, so... Now people get factually incorrect news from, from the internet. Brilliant. Yeah, but also, at least with TV, you know if things are being broadcast that's biased, right? You know with the newspaper if things are being published that are biased. However, on Facebook, because it's so personal, you don't, you can't get a picture of what people are seeing. You can't possibly really know what's going on in these little microcosms of, of friendship groups. For the people who are listening who are interested in the flooding situation, uh, the river has now broken its banks and water is everywhere. We are definitely not getting out of this office alive. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to sleep here. I'll probably have to eat Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have to tune into the next episode to see if we're both alive. Okay, so we're talking about websites, So, but we haven't talked about browsers. Yes. And specifically, another annoyance is browser inconsistency. Okay. So it's actually better now than it ever was. But at some yeah. point, if you were to look at a website in Internet Explorer and then look at it in Firefox, those you could get very different results. Or uh, Netscape Navigator was the one that was before, um, before Internet Explorer. And you had this horrible thing where it was a completely different experience. So much so that websites had to have like a, a disclaimer saying, this is best viewed in Internet Explorer. So it's just, just like the weirdest thing, really. You just reminded me that the internet is way better now than it ever used to be. Okay, <laughs> true. 
in that way it is because we don't really because we have web standards now so web standards is a, what, a community project it was a, a thing where people really wanted to try and nail down how websites should work so yeah. that all of the different browsers yeah would follow those those guidelines and display everything the same and it it w- works really well mostly but it's never going to be perfect because there's always new innovations coming out so the way that I make a website, there's lots of different ways that I can display content on the page, but there's new, newer things like there's Flexbox or there's uh, even more recent CSS grids, things like that, which are, because they're new, they're not supported in the old browsers, obviously, because those old browsers, I'm thinking something like Internet Explorer 9, for example, which was around a couple of years ago, and wouldn't be a problem, except some people still use it, and... So if I make a website that uses these new technologies, it's not going to look correct yeah. if they're using this old browser. Yeah. And the reason why that's a problem is because it takes me longer to create fallbacks so that the website does look okay for those people. But what would be a better system? I don't think there is a better system. I don't know if there is a, a better system, but, well, I suppose the better system would be everyone's on the same browser. Which I think all more the time. so people are now, aren't they? Because Sort of. of. Because yeah. because Chrome like auto updates. Yeah. So if you have Chrome, then theoretically you should always be on the latest or near latest version. So does Firefox. So yeah. does Internet Explorer. Yeah. As long as you are on the latest version. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's interesting about that, Internet Explorer has always been the slowest to update to the latest te- technologies. Sure. Because I mean, in not too distant past, it needed like an actual operating system update, didn't it, to to bring in a new version? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But the latest Internet Explorer, in fact, uh, I don't. I don't think it's out quite yet, but when this podcast comes out, it might be. Um, the latest version of Internet Explorer uses the same rendering engine as Chrome. Yeah, but again, this is a little bit worrying for me. Down to talking about the the lack of decentralization. So while while the fragmented browsers cause things to look a bit different and for it to be harder for developers to make it work in all browsers, yeah. we at least had competition in the market where different browser makers were pushing each other. If one did something really stupid, we could switch. You know, I remember when everyone suddenly started using. Firefox because it was just way better than IE and then everyone moved to Chrome and so there's there's been these transitions whereas I really worry now that even if you use a different browser it basically uses WebKit underneath that everyone's pretty much standardised on its WebKit which is forgive me if I'm mistaken here the underlying engine for Chrome but at some point not so long ago we had Internet Explorer Opera Chrome Mm -hmm. Firefox Safari all completely different yeah all all completely different so you had that that diversity was a problem for developers but equally it just gave the market that diversity and competition and i worry competition drives innovation doesn't it really chrome currently has 70 percent of the global desktop browser share we do still have competition though Mm -hmm. you can switch to firefox if you wanted to well i actually tried to switch to firefox earlier today did it go well no it i would say that i liked the features more than chrome um if you're a web developer, mm-hmm. Firefox does have some really good development tools for, for testing. In fact, Firefox was the very first to have... Do you remember Firebug? I do, yeah. It's the first technology that allows you to I, inspect I st- I'm the old, source code. I'm old enough that I still call it Firebug as a, as a slip of the tongue quite a lot. When I say... <laughs> when I'm talking to the developers and I say, you know, can you open the um, developer tools, but I'll actually call it Firebug in that context. I'll, uh, I'll, okay, I'll, yeah. And then they'll go, what do you mean, Firebug? What's that? And I'll, I mean, I mean the console developer tools. When I first visited... 
Facebook in, in Firefox, it asked me if I wanted to keep all the browsing data separate. One thing Firefox seems to have done is they've gone all out on the, the privacy angle, basically. Yeah. So when you visit fa- Facebook, you can log into Facebook, but it keeps, they call it like a container. It keeps all the browsing history, the cookies, all the session data. Only when you're on Facebook does it work. And then you visit another site and then Facebook can't track you because it's oh, in a okay. separate container. And you can actually set these containers up for other things as well, which is nice. So you can keep like a silo for, for say, Twitter if you want. You can have that in its own little silo. So um, whenever you visit Twitter, it works. But when you visit another site, Twitter can't do stuff in the background and, and track you for profiling for advertising and stuff, which is, I think, a really nice concept. And I don't think Google uh, would ever do that in Chrome because obviously they, they rely on ad revenue and tracking you across the web. So yeah. that's a good, I think that's a good, a sensible angle for them to, to go, go down. Definitely. So on the topic of browsers, I had something to mention. Go on. So Jake Archibald, do you know Jake Archibald? Not personally. You've seen him at, at talk at conferences though. He's one yeah, of the Chrome, yeah. sort of, is he a Chrome advocate? Is he a developer? I think he works for Chrome. Yeah, he does work for Chrome, but but he, he talks a lot at events, right? We've yeah. seen him a few times. He tweeted and he said, tech folks get furious when browsers think about simplifying the display of the URL bar. Ooh. Okay, so, so what... this this relates to I think iOS was the first to do this on a on uh, Safari. Safari on iOS. You visit a website and all it shows, I think, on most websites is the domain name and a padlock. Okay, so you could be on like mybank.com slash view balance slash one two three four, whatever the URL is. Yeah. Okay, and all it will show you is mybank.com. That's mm-hmm. all it will display in the URL bar. So no matter which page you are on, yes. no matter which URL you're on on that website. Yes. It will only show you the domain. Until you click on it or whatever, and then I think it expands and you can still copy it and stuff, but okay. it simplifies the the view. Okay, so, and this is quite a contentious thing. And it yeah, seems that, to be- I, this was going to be one of my things for why the internet is now worse, because I think that's a bad idea. Okay, I think this it's, is interesting. I think showing the URL is really, really useful to anyone, even if they're not a, not a technical person. I think it's useful to know that you are on a different page than you were before. I disagree. Oh, I think it is useful. So for, fight. I, okay, I think it is useful for people with technology and for developers. Okay, yeah. But if I think about how my parents use the internet, they don't even know what that means. They don't know. They couldn't tell you what the parts of it mean. Mm-hmm. So why is it useful to show them? It just confuses them. And also, if you think about why would why would the average user, the non-tech user, need the URL? Okay, so the main reason I would say is if they're on a secure website, but about to put their credit card details in, they want to make sure they're on the website they think they are. Or if they're on the bank's website about to put their banking details in, they want to make sure they're on the actual bank website, right? That's why you would want to show them the URL. Yes. Correct. But I would So that- they should be on mybank.com rather than mybank.biz.scam. Yes. But I would say that my parents couldn't tell you which bit was the domain anyway. Oh. So even if they could decipher it, they would easily be tricked by something like myscamsite.com slash mybank.com. Yeah. You know, you just call the page. They'd go, oh, it says my bank. That's fine. So by just showing the domain name, I think that really helps with security for the average user. Just for simplicity. Yeah. And why, and why does, why does anyone need the URL unless you want to share the page? In which case you can still click on it and share it. There's no problem with that. I think it's so that you can easily know where you are because one of the main okay. failings of a website might be that the navigation isn't clear enough where you are in the site. Say if you've got a bog standard kind of website that has a homepage, 
It has an About Us page, and inside the About Us page, there might be a Meet the Team page, something like that. I think it's useful to know that you are on the About Us page rather than on the home page, because the navigation of the site itself it might not be clear, and you might want to go back to the home page, or you might want to go to another page, but you could easily be lost. The website could have, like, breadcrumbs. Yes. You know, um, breadcrumbs have been around for a long but, time. That just means, sort of, it shows where you are. But okay. But you might, also might not. But forget for a second people like us that understand what a URL is. Okay. And what you've just said, like, I would say that 9 out of 10 or more web users would not be able to look at the URL and decipher the structure of the site. Like, we can. We take that for granted, that we could take off maybe the end of the URL and get to, say, maybe a higher up page in the hierarchy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... I would I would think that more than 90% of website users would not even think to do that. Maybe. And this comes back to the point of, is the web just for tech geeks or is the web for everyone? Oh, okay. Interesting. Because if it is for everyone, then... It should be simpler? Maybe. I don't know. It is a difficult subject. I, I probably think it should be simpler. The other thing that I was going to mention on this subject about URLs mm-hmm. is... I. Very, very much do not like it. So do not take this as a as an endorsement of it. But some websites nowadays don't necessarily change the URL as the page changes. They use JavaScript frameworks that as you click on something, it changes the content dynamically and the URL stays the same. The problem there, surely, is that if you were to copy that URL yes. and tweet it to somebody, share it with somebody, they were to click on it, they might go to a very different looking page Correct. to where you were. Which is why, which is why I say it, I don't endorse it and I think it's a terrible thing. Update on the flood situation. All the roads are now flooded and we are trapped in the office. Andy's had to make me an emergency pizza out of a naan bread and some barbecue <laughs> sauce. <laughs> but we are going to carry on podcasting. It's a pizza, pizza in the loosest sense of the word. <laughs> Okay, I've got another point of why the Mm -hmm. internet is worse now. But I'm also going to later on unprove my own point because I don't agree with this. So websites are kind of boring now, right? Because we've had these web standards, you know, um, because we think about simplicity and we think about making sure that a website isn't too difficult to navigate, we kind of, we keep it simple, which is, which is really great. A lot of websites in that case will be how you expect them to be, right? So as soon as somebody yeah. creates a, sta- a standard, other websites will, will copy that because you don't want to reinvent the wheel the whole time. But that wasn't always the case. Like, remember, Flash websites back in the day yeah. could have been wildly different. I know that it's rubbish that they were wildly different because it was really confusing, but they could be amazingly different. Anything could have happened and websites could be very, very different or exciting. The amount of navigation that involves playing a little game, something stupid like that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, there was a meme a while ago that I saw, which was uh, asking a question, which website are you working on? This standard looking layout or this standard looking layout? And I thought that was funny for me at the time because I was working on a website that included both of those incredibly standard layouts. Yeah. So I was, what was happening is I was, as a web developer, developing a website that's pretty much the same as every other website, which is a bit frustrating because I do feel like I'm just reinventing like I'm just reinventing the wheel the whole time. But isn't it the case that, I don't know, I think a lot of things are the same. Like, I'm trying to draw a parallel to something else, like maybe the car industry. You know, you go back 40 years in the car industry, 50 years in the car industry, and there's a huge amount of differentiation between different brands and different crazy things that people are trying. Like, you know, Citroen did their crazy uh, suspension, which gave an incredibly comfortable ride. I thought you were going to go a bit more diverse there. Like, steering wheels used to be square, and handbrakes used to drop down from the ceiling. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, the, the work works like that yeah. in some. But these days, just purely for like cheapness and consistency and making it easy to fix and so people know how to work the car, although more often than not, things are fairly standard. You can jump out of one brand of car, get in another car, and it's basically the same, isn't it, really? Yeah, true. Okay, so everything's got a bit similar, which is, I think that is a good thing because it does mean that when you go to a website that you've not seen before, you pretty much know what to expect, which is good. But I do think we might have lost lost a bit of magic there. Was it really magic trying to decipher a Flash website that was... (laughs) Like moving all over the place and flashing at you. I mean, was that magic? Was Probably that really magic? inaccessible? Yeah, I mean, is I mean, I mean, that's almost a thing in itself, isn't it? I mean, do we lament the loss of Flash? I mean, I've got to be honest. It's the it's the technology that got me into the web. Flash. I I started out doing little games and animations in Flash when I was a teenager. That's what got me excited about the web. Me too. That's it. That's so, what got me excited about it. I'm not all that excited about creating HTML page of just text. I mean, I probably should be, because that's my job. And (laughs) it's just not quite as exciting as it could be. Although all these changes have made the web a much more usable place. Yeah. Everything we've talked about, I think pretty much so far, is a change for good when we think about usability. When we think about, you know, simplifying URLs, not having Flash websites anymore, having increased standardization. Mm-hmm. It's it's all improving the usability, isn't it? We have lost that diversity, but we've we've gained yeah. Usefulness. Yes. Yeah, I think we've gained utility. Yeah. God, this feels like final thought. We're yeah. not done yet. I've got loads of oh, more things to moan about. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you about our latest Twitter followers? Please do, and I will, as per usual, say hello to every single one of them. All right, good. And make this as drawn out as possible. (laughs) Drawn out as long as possible. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, we've got Justine Marie Brenoir. Hello. Kaylee Trussell. Hello. SJ Spartan. Hello. Alistair. Hello. Holly Schroeder. Hello. Grant Howarth. Hello. Natalie Schwalb. Hello. Mike Bullen. Hello. Sean G. Chittle. Hello. Kristen Turner. Hello. Craig Connell. Hello. Eva Chu. Hello. Britt Bragg. Hello. How high pitched are you going to go? I don't know. <laughs> Tia Deloria. Hello. Tori Mortensen. Hello. <laughs> going low pitch now, are we? Anastasia Labonova. Hello. Hugo Froze. Hello. And Mike Gobblers. Hello. Right, good. Hi, everyone. Thanks for following us. Right, can we do Bad Usability Nightmare? Ready? Bad Bad Usability usability Nightmares! Okay, my wife is a teacher, right? Right. And so she, at her school, they've kind of embraced technology a bit. Okay, yeah. Right, does that make you worried? Well, a little bit, because my wife is also a teacher, and I'm aware of the sort of technology that they have. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So what they have is, so every day they have to do an attendance register. So you remember this at school, your name's read out, and you have to say, yes, miss, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now there's actually two registers that they have to do. Uh, one is the attendance and the other one is the dinner register where the kids have to shout out their dinner choice. Okay. And both of these registers are done online, okay, as a website. Okay. Which in theory is fine as long as you've got good internet and the yeah. website is not terrible. Yeah. Unfortunately.
clearly they've got terrible internet at that school and the websites are rubbish. Okay. This sounds like a perfect example where they should be using like local caches and the service worker stuff to create a progressive web app. I do think so, yeah. So the dinner register is the most complicated one. So there's um, options, I think there's like three different meal options that the kids could have. So what happens is the teacher goes through each child, calls out their name, they show this on a smart board at school. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a big screen, essentially, mm-hmm. so that the kid knows the uh, the meal options. And so what the teacher has to do is click through on this interface, on this website, the kid's name, and then the kid's option. Now, this website is all done using Ajax. Right. Fairly modernish technology. But because of the slow, either the slow internet or the slow server, I don't know what it is. It could be, this could be the problem, maybe not of the school's internet. Maybe it's the problem of the, the service they're using. But every single one took 30 seconds to save. What? So imagine you're clicking on this on, on a, and kid. a cl- an average class size in the UK is what about 30? Exactly. 30? So 30 times 30 seconds. And kids, and kids get fidgety. How do you keep them amused for every 30 <laughs> second know. gap of silence? I don't know. So just imagine, press save, spinner, 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 finally saved. Go to the next one. Like you can't queue them up. How is that, like that better than just having a piece of paper? I know, exactly. With a piece of paper, you can just rattle through it, can't you? So what they did, apparently, is after a while, they, they stuck with it for a while and then just abandoned it and then used a paper version and then somebody else an admin person at the office would fill it in later using their time so they're not doing it in front of the kids. Because, yeah, the kids are just going to get annoyed. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's such a shame because, in theory, technology could make that situation more effective, but it's made it worse. Yeah, but I think that's down to the developers who ever made that system. Yes, I think it it's is. down that this is their bad call. Yeah. Okay, I've got another annoying thing to tell you about. Okay. So uh, we had to go to a hospital recently and we had okay. to park in the hospital and we had to park in the hospital car park. Okay. But we didn't have any change for the car park machine. Okay. So it was yeah. a pay and display car park. Okay. We always talk about parking machines, don't we? I know. Well, it's because it just... they're the worst examples of the of the most horrendous technology. And you're forced by is, uh, being a driver, you're forced to interact with them. Yeah, true. So didn't have any change with me. And I thought, oh, fine, it's actually got a uh, card machine on there that I can use. So I can use contactless. I thought, brilliant, swipe it, done. No, card machine didn't work on that particular one or on any. Uh, I spoke to somebody else who just come from another machine, said none of them work. But there were other options. And one was to download the app, the car parking app. Okay. And immediately I thought, why would I want to download a car parking app? I'm outside, I'm in a hurry. I've got sketchy 3G. So like downloading an app that is going to stay on my phone forever is yeah. not something that I'm going to want the, to do. The, the only time I've done this, by the way, parking with an app, and I find it actually semi useful was when I went on holiday to Cornwall in this in the south part of England and the local authority there the Cornish Cornwall Council uh, used a parking app on all the council car parks and it did some quite clever stuff like gave you a discount and like you could pay for extra time even if you weren't at your car so if you paid for like an hour oh, okay and then you needed you so so as we drove around Cornwall to these diff- to the different seaside towns and saw something different every day I knew that as long as I parked in a council owned car park in any town I could just whip out the app pay for a few hours oh we're staying a bit later without going back to the car I can add an extra hour on it was really actually quite convenient and obviously the the thing there that made it super useful is that we were in Cornwall so the same app worked on all okay everywhere so it was useful for the whole week whereas I would imagine normally not so good because you go to a different car park and well that's it and yeah. As a one-off, it doesn't really work. Because if I've got to have the app that's on my phone forever... Yeah, you wouldn't do it if you're just visiting somewhere for the day or for an hour or Exactly, whatever. yeah. 
Recently, we did a short video on YouTube about a sink that uh, Natalia saw, right? Okay. Do you remember this? It was a sink that was so complicated, it needed its own video tutorial. Right, yeah. So we were sent a a video of another sink by Ilyas Zolzbeev. So he now thinks we're interested in terrible sinks. (laughs) So, which, uh, well, I mean, I do do find it funny. So these two sinks have a single tap. And they've got a motion sensor on them, right? But they've obviously been installed incorrectly. So it shows someone waving under one sink and then water comes out of the other tap. <laughs> so so somehow the sensor's been connected to the wrong yeah. tap. Yeah, and then, and then you, you waves under, under the other tap and then water comes out of the other one. <laughs> <laughs> someone must have done that as a joke on purpose. I don't know. Well, maybe, they, maybe it was installed just incorrectly. I don't know. That's brilliant. So we're now the, the sink podcast. Could just do a whole podcast about sinks. Yeah, welcome. welcome. Bad taps. <laughs> we could call it tap dancing, and you could do a little intro. Yeah. So something else I think that is less good than it used to be on the web is in-app browsers. Okay. Do you know what I mean by that? No. Okay. So if you use an Android phone, and I'm I'm sure iOS is probably similar, I don't know, but if you use an Android phone and you do a Google search in the Google app, yeah, and then you press on a search result, it won't open that result in your phone's browser, Chrome. It won't it doesn't do that. It opens it in its own little fast browser or whatever. It tries to be oh. it tries to open it in its own little fast browser. Facebook does the same thing. So you're browsing Facebook by and by default you click on a link in Facebook and it doesn't open it in your browser. It opens it in a little part of the Facebook app. Yes. Okay. okay. And this is super annoying because it can render things slightly differently. There's no proper address bar. They're like it won't go into your history. Like so, if you if you then if you then think later, like oh, what was that site I looked at earlier? You go to your browser history, and it's not there, and you get really confused because it actually it didn't open in Chrome. It opened in the weird Facebook browser thing. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. This is a really horrible trend, and I know why they do it. It's because they want to keep you in the Facebook app, right? And as soon as you leave to Chrome, there's a chance you get distracted. And also they probably can't track you as efficiently. So they want to keep you in the Facebook experience as much as possible. Yeah. But it's just horrible. And I've noticed that the apps that do it, thankfully, give you an option to disable it. So you can go to the Facebook settings and say, just open in my default browser. You can do the same on the Google app and say, just open in my default browser. And so I always enable that so that I still, it uses my regular browser. But that's that's not better for users, is it? That is actually something that's a massive step back for usability i think i think it's awful as well i i had to change i noticed it was doing on facebook and it was it was loading every website a lot slower than if you were to load it in chrome so i had to stop using it because it was just taking too long yeah an example of a time where it really screwed me over as well is i clicked a link in gmail i think it was and gmail does the same thing instead of opening it in your in your browser it opened it within gmail's browser or whatever that is and it was on a website that I wanted to buy something. And so I started through the process of adding something to a basket, tried to purchase it, got to the first step of the checkout. And then I, I can't remember what I did. I think I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back to the original email because I wanted to copy and paste a discount code or something like that from the email. Pressed back because I am obviously within my, my email there. Oh, so you can't so get back, back to read your email. You can't get back to read your email. So when I went back and then tried to go to the website again, the whole yeah. session had vanished. Yeah. And, so, of, and of course, as well, when you're in that browser, if you had like a normally in your browser, like a stored login or autofilled credit card details, they're not going to be there in the mini Google browser, are they? They're so, not. You, you need to go. Go to proper Chrome for that to happen. Yeah. 
That is, it's such a horrible trend that is a step backwards in my opinion. I think so too. But yet there's no, not really an incentive for developers of these apps to take it away, is there? They, they're, they're only gaining by keeping you in their app experience. Maybe if enough people complain. But it's only us that will complain. It's only us geeks that will complain. The average users will probably just, they just go with along it. with it and then they might just get a little bit annoyed, but then to be honest, don't know probably... why they're annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, that's frustrating. I do like everything to be separate. Like, I like my websites to be inside a browser and I like my email to be inside the email. Yeah, nice and siloed. Exactly. Then you can easily switch between them then, is what yeah. I mean. This is something, was it you that mentioned the other day to me about... Yes. There's a new version of Microsoft Office on yeah. Android on your yes. phone. Yeah. And instead of having every one of the apps, you know, Excel, Word, PowerPoint, PowerPoint as separate apps, yeah. they've combined it all into one, which okay. takes up less space on your phone. So, I, so my instinct on that is that's a positive move and it's more convenient because now all those productivity apps, which are kind of similar, it's almost just different styles of document you can create really, aren't they? They're just It's all just about creating a document of some sort, whether it's a presentation document or a, a printed document or a spreadsheet document. It's just creating a thing, and there's so much, so many parallels between them. But if you think about it, it means that it's more difficult to switch between those apps. If you want to copy and paste something from one document from, to from another, a word document into a spreadsheet, you can easily do that yeah. right now because just by swiping through all your apps like you would normally do. But if they're all inside the same app, there's got to be some mechanism to go between apps in the app. Yes, or between documents in the app. Yeah, we, well, it is apps in the app, though, isn't it? Because it's between Word and PowerPoint, for example. Yeah, so, but you could because you're in an app in an app. I don't know how they've done it, but because I've not used it, but they could have removed the distinction between the apps they could just say open a powerpoint open a presentation or open a document but they would have had to implement their own little task switcher inside the that's it I don't want another task switcher we've already got one yeah it seems like they've invented something I've not used this it could be amazing I don't know it's just my initial reaction that I thought it would be more sensible for them to be treated as separate apps yes update on the flood situation so we're now knee deep in water we're not knee deep in water it's not that bad (laughs) electrics have gone off (laughs) we're actually in a boat farewell everyone no we're not in a boat we're We're just sailing away we might die i don't know alicia giovanni sent us an article that reminded her of the last episode that we did about sound design. Okay. It's called False Alarms and Alert Fatigue, the Tragic Design of Hospital Alerts. Oh, I think I've read this. It's about the huge percentage of alarms in hospitals that are either false or clinically insignificant. Like, what's the point? Why would you oh, have an really alarm tricky, that's so it? loud if it's completely insignificant? But this is really tricky, isn't it? Because if there's even a suspicion, a slightest suspicion that a patient needs attention, you have to set the alarm off, right? You, you can't not because it's the patient's life that's at risk. However, false alarms will fatigue yeah. so the it- staff. So what happens is it maxes out the attention span of anyone working there. Mm-hmm. So you just don't hear it anymore. Yeah. Anyway, this is all in the last episode. And so this article suggests using unique bird calls instead of alarms, which is a bit weird, but maybe you can attune your hearing to, sort of to hear that kind of bird call. And that would communicate something very different to just like a burp, burp, burp sort of alarm. What's so it personalised to what the issue is or personalised to the person that's meant to receive to it? Personalised to the issue. So if you hear a blackbird, it would be heart attack. If you hear a sparrow, it would be um, 
just dead. But it's true, it's true, isn't it? Though, that like the you know the so I think most hospital beds, at least in the UK, have like a pull cord that the, the patient can press if there's an emergency. Yeah, yeah. But is it not true that whether the patient wants just wants a glass of water or they're dying, they pull the cord? Yeah, so it's okay, the same... so it's the same thing. But what this article was talking about is there's lots of other alarms going off, like there's a heart monitor or a um, breathing monitor, all those other other things, and every patient's got different needs, different needs and different equipment. So these could be yeah. very different alarms going off. Another thing it mentioned is maybe have a sound, not just for the alarm, but for everything being okay. Like a nice soft melody, like like a nice tune, if everything's okay, or the the sound of crickets. So the absence of the nice tune. So the absence of the noise might be more relevant than the noise itself and might be more noticeable. So Alicia picked up on this bit. Alerts need not carry a negative connotation in order to carry information. If additional meaning, such as priority level, can be added to the alert through non-stressful, emotionally neutral elements such as increasing tempo or the number of instruments in a composition, then the alert becomes a special message decodable by doctors or nurses while remaining non-alarming and neutral to patients. Because if if an alarm goes off and it's like really sounding serious, everyone's going to get nervous about it. All of the patients might get really stressed about this alarm, but actually it might be just something quite normal. It might be that it means something less threatening. Sure. So if you were to have a sound that the doctors can recognise from a distance, mm-hmm. that could I think that's a good idea. I, I do think though that it, it could just get as annoying though, right? I think a lot of the thing that's annoying about noises is when you hear them all the time and they're repetitive. Yeah. And so I think if you change it to like a nice soft soft symphony, then the symphony gets annoying. I, I, I personally once set my um, alarm on my phone to wake me up in the morning. To your favourite song? To a song that I quite like, which, oh, uh, which is Good Day Sunshine by the Beatles. And it starts and it, it's quite soft and it goes, Good day sunshine, do do do. Good. It's quite nice, right? And it's have a nice. Off, have you completely gone off it now, though? It's ruined it. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it with a passion. It just reminds me of groggy, horrible mornings, not wanting to wake up and being forced out of bed in the winter. Is what it reminds me of now. Right. Okay. So any soft melody that you could use for an alarm is just completely pointless because it'll. I think over time t- it can work to start with, but I think over time you fatigue and you get used to it, and it and it ruins whatever it meant to start with. It you just associate it with the with negativity. Oh, that's a shame. Well, that's why we are neither of us sound designers. <laughs> True. Anyway, that is the end of the podcast. If you've seen or used something unusable recently, we want to hear about it, including sinks or parking meters. <laughs> <laughs> you can email us at podcast at theunusable.com and we're on Twitter at unusablepodcast. Right, we both need to go and uh, venture out into the floodwater now and swim our way home. <laughs> You definitely need to subscribe because in the next episode you can find out did we make it out alive? <laughs> we'll just be replaced by two new hosts. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never be mentioned again. <laughs> yeah. If you've enjoyed this, there's plenty more. The last episode we talked about UX writing and microcopy. And on YouTube, we've got a video of us talking about weird washing machine settings. What does tomato mode even do? (laughs) Washes your tomatoes. (laughs) Music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast so you'll get a notification about the next one. And that is it. Until next time, bye. Bye Bye-bye.